Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Magnolia Beef and Seminary has top quality beef products that are raised right here in Mississippi. They also have fantastic gifts for every age. For the best beef in Mississippi and so much more, visit Magnolia Beef and Seminary or find us on Facebook. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone, meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no words, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi minute. That's right. Hey, 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 we are coming to you from the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. All right. It takes talent, hard work, some hard knocks, and a heck of a sense of humor to ingest all the knowledge today's guest has about the game that he's known since he was just a little kid, that being golf. From his playing days on the Nike Tour, where he won multiple times, then to the PGA Tour multiple times his journey was just that and after his playing career was met with injury he decided to use that colorful personality of his and the broadcast booth his own radio shows including on sirius xm that i listen to every weekend out on the pga uh, tour when he's doing his thing and the rest well is still history in the making he's a really good guy and i've got him on the other side of the microphone now game on with john mcginnis what's up johnny how you doing i'm good man i'm good how do you like being on the other side of it you feeling nervous? No, you know, I don't know. I wasn't until that intro. I do appreciate the intro, but now I'm, I'm worried that we're going to open up cabinets that have been closed for a long time. <laughs> we'll try not to open up. Well, we'll, we'll, we will. But now, you know, it's uh, this is like you've been on the couch. You're on my couch now. I'm used to being on yours. <laughs> and uh, so, but I appreciate you taking the time. Now, where are you right now? I am in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina for the World Amateur championship 3200 golfers wow show up in myrtle beach and they play uh, over 60 different golf courses and it's flighted it's really cool if you're a 14.1 your your uh your group is going to be like 14.0 to 14.2 and you're all wow. four you're going to play four golf courses together and there'll be a flight winner and wow. then the flight flight winners all play on friday to win the grand prize of the world amateur championship it's fun we have we use the convention center at myrtle beach as the world's largest 19th hole, and what do you need in the world's largest 19th hole? But Catrick and McGinnis on tap. That's exa- well, that well, that's what you need. That's exactly right. So is uh, is uh, is uh, what goes into the making? Are you involved in the making of this thing? Um, just the average. We do some advertising for him, and my partner is actually an amateur. He's actually playing in the uh, in the event. How's he uh, doing? My, my radio partner. He's he's playing okay. <laughs> and so it's a great week for me. Most of the time, they just ask me to show up at four o'clock, which that's kind of like being a rock star, isn't it? Show up around four no, or five no, no, and, and work until it. as late as you want. I got sound check at four o'clock today. That's exactly right. You're spot on. 
<laughs> you're right there. Your money. You know, you had a busy season this year, and uh, and now obviously you take a break. Your your break is how long? It's not long anymore, right? No. Well, for me, I I am doing so many different things. This is so much fun for me because I'm here this week doing uh, the radio show and and whatever else they ask me to do. Next week, I'm guest hosting on Golf Channel's Morning Drive. Oh, I love the that. Week the week after that, um, I host an event in Pinehurst, and the week after that, I'll be in Jackson working PGA Tour Live for yeah. the Sanderson Farm. So four weeks in a row, four totally different activities. Let's talk about golf and how long the season is uh, versus when you were in your heyday, when you were really playing. There there seems to be – I mean, we just got through the, the FedEx Cup, and it seems to be just there's no gap. Right. Um, you know, as a player that dealt with injury, right? I mean, it wasn't like you were out playing football on the side and you, you, you or soccer or whatever it was or playing hoops. I hope you weren't doing that or had a skiing accident. You know, you got hurt playing the game of golf, right? So as a, as an athlete that has to stay healthy, what do you? I mean, what's what's the deal there? What do you think? Well, I, I think that it's hardest on uh, the guys that don't get all the notoriety. It's hardest on the guys who have to play. You know, Tiger played 12 times this year. Rory and those guys are going to play anywhere from 18 to 22 or 23. But it's the guys who are struggling to keep their cards, those are the guys that, and, and of course, they can solve their problems by playing better. But some of them are playing the best golf they can play to finish 80th in FedEx Cup points or right. whatever. I mean, that's that's as good as they're going to be. It's not that they're happy with that. It's just there's only there can only be a few Rory McIlroys and Jason Days and right. Dustin Johnson and Brooks Kepkis. So those guys, um, they have to play an awful lot, and they have to play in the fall. You know, the the way that the season works now, uh, Brant Snedeker is going to play, according to his caddy, seven events in the fall. Wow. Well, that, that would have never happened all those years ago. Right. So I think that you, you play, it's the same number of tournaments that we used to play, and it's over the same amount of time. It's just that the season ends at an awkward time. The season now ends in August, and then it starts back uh, in September. So it's, it's a very, it's a very, odd uh, situation that they find themselves in. A lot of players this year with the new schedule weren't sure how to create their own schedules. And I think that they learned a lot. And um, in the future, we'll see guys taking, you know, a month or two off in the middle of the season right. just because they can. And they want to be ready for the, you know, the four or five biggest tournaments. What would Bruce Litsky, God rest his soul, have ever done in this day and age? <laughs> just, it wouldn't, there's no way, you know? <laughs> he, he took the summers off. He skipped yeah. Yeah. the majors to do it and to be home with his kids. And, oh, man. you know, that's Good just – it's the, the thing is the money's there now that you could do that financially. If Tiger wanted to do that for the rest of his career – We'd all hate it, but we'd understand it, and right. certainly, we certainly wouldn't need to pass the hat for him. Right, but, right. <laughs> but, you know, uh, let's hope he doesn't. Well, let's talk about, and I want an honest answer here. I know you're going to give it because that's what you do, but let's talk about you've got all these events now. Do, do the events feel cheated a little bit now that, you know, they, they probably were all spawn uh, from – Tiger, you know, right now, sure. the chance that he may play in your event. And obviously this year we saw after Augusta, uh, we saw him put the work in before and get into a prime. He was in his prime, right? You just could feel like he was playing, you know, he's percolating, you know, getting ready to bust, peaking at the right time, as you guys say. And then all of a sudden he was hurting again. You know, and then that schedule last uh, last summer after winning the tour championship and all that. Okay, so I guess he, he just looked tired. So 
obviously he's doing dealing with some pain. He had a little knee surgery now again. Um, do the all these events that were created? Do you agree with me? They were created because of the hopes that Tiger would play, or in the sure. money, or or how how do they react now to all of this? I, I don't know. I I tell you what, Tim Fincham and now Jay Monahan are geniuses when it comes to keeping sponsors. Uh, I don't know how they do it. It's it's expensive. Ask Mr. Sanderson how expensive it is to host a PGA Tour event. Uh, it's it's a commitment, a financial commitment. And it's great for the community, and everybody wins, and, and uh, that's one of the, the many selling points. But, you know, you just can't sell Tiger's going to come to your event anymore because we don't know when he's going to play right. or if he's going to play. And yet they manage to maintain these sponsors. Uh, year in and year out, and I think it's I think it's genius. Uh, people want to be associated with golf, which is great, but boy, yeah, I mean, from a, a from a community that has seen Tiger, and then to have him not come the, the another year, it's a different event. You've been to PGA Tour events, and you've been to PGA Tour events that Tiger was playing, exactly. in, and those are two different animals. One of them is fun, and one of them is <laughs> is outrageous. It's it's an event. It's a party. It's a happening yeah. because that guy's there. Well, the tour championship last year versus this year, right? Oh. Yeah. I mean, although it was cool, the tour championship was great. You got you. We got some great players, uh, you know, and it came down to it, and it was awesome and all that. But last year, when they were recapping, when it rained on Saturday, they recapped last year. I almost felt like they shouldn't have done it because <laughs> it was like it, you know, it was like Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band, or our boys hooting the Blowfish playing arenas, and all of a sudden you're back at a club plant. You know, you know what I'm saying? It was just like this yeah. intensity, insane. Uh, it felt like you were at the U.S. Open. Uh, you know, and a major, and it just crazy. And then all of a sudden, it almost got sleepy a little bit. You know, I agree with you. What, what one of the few things, and I wasn't sure how this was going to play out with the tour championship. I don't. We don't want to get too far into golf. I would think that we'd bore people. But with the staggered start, with the the players starting on different numbers, I wasn't sure how I was going to like it. I liked it just fine. I wanted to see it play out. But yeah. if there was one thing that I would tweak. On the PGA Tour right now, it is that if you win a major championship, you're likely to, to have enough points to get into the Tour Championship. Totally had, agree with that. We had two major champions who didn't win. They only got 100 more points. They got 20% more points for winning a major than they do for winning yeah. you know, the Wyndham Championship. And right. I think I think that it should be at least you know 500 points to to. 750 or 800 points. It doesn't make sense, is. John. That That's my point. That's the one thing I was going like. There's no way a major champion doesn't get into that top 30. It's, well, it's just, a, it's just a matter of tweaking the points. And, it, and yeah. I don't think anybody's opposed to that. Of course, the Tour doesn't own the majors. Most people don't realize that. The Tour owns the Players' Championship and the Tour Championship. The four majors belong to somebody else. But from a, if the players say, look, they deserve more points, then they'll get more points. Yeah. Well, after this year and and Tiger not being in that top thirty, although he who knows if he'd have played. The bottom line is that uh, that would have been a plus. We're talking to John McGinnis. He's hanging out in Myrtle Myrtle Beach. Is that what you said, Johnny? Myrtle Myrtle Vegas. You just in misery. You're in misery. You travel to all these horrible places every weekend. And we're gonna we're gonna dig into your life growing up because I want to talk about how how the game got you. Whether were there any other sports growing up with your folks? We're gonna dig into it. You're in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studio. Studios. I've seen Myrtle Beach. It's pretty dang beautiful. And uh, we're in the Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. Stand by. 
Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm with John McGinnis, uh, former PGA professional turned broadcaster, and he's so good, so colorful. He's one of the best in the business. Uh, I've I've driven many times uh, on the bus when we couldn't get satellite uh, TV, John, just FYI, or in the car with my family, and you have gotten me through a lot of miles, you and your team. Uh, I I love listening to you guys. Uh, It's it's like we're there. Is there an art in, in radio versus visual? When you're not doing visual and you're doing the whole broadcasting thing, and uh, do you ever think about that, or is it something that you had to work on as you, uh, you know, got you, you put the clubs away professionally? You know, I got hurt in '04. Uh, it goes back all the way to '04. And remember, USA Network used to have the Thursday Friday right. coverage before the Golf Channel took it over. And my my agent called and he said do you have any interest in doing broadcasting? And I said, no, I don't want to do that. (laughs) And he said, well, hang on. Before you say no, USA needs somebody to fill in for the next two weeks. The first week is the Senior Players Championship in Dearborn, Michigan. And I said, okay. He said, you fly up on uh, Wednesday afternoon. You work from 4 to 6 on Thursday, 4 to 6 on Friday. You stay at the Ritz-Carlton. They'll fly you home on Friday night after the show, and they'll pay you $5,000. I said, yeah, you know what? I could probably make myself <laughs> available for that. I think that could work. Um, That's so good. Man, the second week was the Buick Open, and I was with Tiger on Friday afternoon. And this is, you know, this is a two-week contract. This is the end of my broadcasting yeah. career. Yeah. And I have Lance Barrow in my headset, who is – spectacular you should have him on he was in charge of golf and football at cbs for years and years and he could tell you he could fill an hour just doing uh <laughs> yeah. stories about being in tin cup but anyway lance is uh lance says i never yell on the radio because i never yell in a, in a headset i make stern suggestions in your headset huh and he was <laughs> it was awesome so this, i'm interviewing tiger at 5.45, and that's it. That's going to be my last interview, um, my last thing that I ever do in broadcasting. And In 2004, right? In 2004. Yeah. And I, I asked Tiger the worst question anybody ever <laughs> asked on live television. <laughs> what I asked him was, we all know you're getting married soon, with, his, with Lance Barrow in my headset saying, ask him what he has to do to win the golf tournament. <laughs> I came up with, we all know you're getting married soon, Tiger. <laughs> How's that going to affect your fishing? <laughs> I love and it. I he love started it. laughing, and then he answered the question that he and Elon had discovered spearfishing down in the islands and went on and on for 90 seconds about uh, spearfishing. <laughs> and I said, Tiger, good luck this weekend. Thanks. Back up to you guys. And the booth was John Cook and Bill McAtee. And Bill McAtee says, John, have you ever heard Tiger do a, an interview like that and john said no that was that was fantastic blah 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 and what i hear in my headset is john we're done with you <laughs> and, like, which, and, lance, and i right? didn't know that's if i had just gotten fired or, or if it was the end of the day or what so i go back to the tv compound and that's so funny. Uh, my boss said hey uh what are you doing the next 11 weeks and that's it that's how i became a broadcaster mm-hmm. i had an insurance license i could have sold you a life insurance <laughs> if you needed it <laughs> on the side uh, that's okay so so you jumped out that's you sort of betting on sort of what you know you first of all you're a player so you've been asked all these questions and a lot of the questions are 
are, you know, I got to be honest with you. They're so stock and cliche. You know, you answer them numb. You know, you don't even remember answering. You just press a tape recorder. So all of a sudden you throw a little curveball. It was an honest moment. And you can't tell me that in everything that you've ever done as far as being an entertainer, when you've had an honest moment, it just works. It works. I, I, I agree. Um, and Tiger, <laughs> later that year, remember, this is 04. VJ <laughs> won nine times that year. Yeah, yeah. And took over as number one in the world. Then basically every time the Tiger played from, from the summer on, I interviewed him after he finished. Yeah. And every day for the rest of that summer and really going forward – before the interview, he'd say, McGinnis, straight golf today. All right, Tiger, I appreciate it. You already got me the job. And that's what I tell him. You already got me the job. <laughs> I love okay, so did you ever think about going back to play when you got healthy? Well, I got I had surgery uh, there in 04, and I did try to play in 05. And I, I tried to play and do a little broadcasting. By then, the, the kids were getting so big and so strong, and – you know, my Sunday punch was going 270. And there were, you know, Jason Day was coming along. Adam Scott was coming along. That that was that group of kids. And even, you know, even the short players like Zach Johnson, who was the player of the year on the Nike Tour um, and came out while I was still playing, were carrying it 280 or 290 back then. And right. So the game, the game was passing me by physically uh we didn't work out i mean i I played in an era where you could bum a cigarette from roger malby on the driving range (laughs) and i mean now you can bum a power bar although probably not one with much sugar in it yeah you'd be one of those ones that like i mean zero sugar yeah they're they're gonna start eating the fairways soon yeah <laughs> that's, that's gonna happen. That's probably happening. You put, look, you sprinkle a little oil and vinegar on it. You know, a little, a little basil, a little oregano. It's all good. You yeah. know, it's all good. It's gonna taste like you know some of this salad we get in restaurants that I've seen. I question if the, just the words. You can't you can't put some of those things in a. It's just supposed to be like simple, and now it's gotten carried away. And I'm going, okay, where did they get that piece of grass? Is what I say. And then my wife, of course, goes, "You need to expand your horizons." I said, "From Mississippi Delta, you know, I, yeah. everything's fried. That's how we roll down here." We're talking to John McGinnis. John, okay, taking me back growing up. You're playing junior golf. You had an amazing career. You were you were a tough competitor, man. You were one that people were talking about. I remember watching you play, uh, and and like you said, you were on a journey. And uh, but but in Q schools, you were a machine at it. You know, I mean, you were. I mean, that was tough, really tough. So, take me growing up. Where did you play other sports? Was there any other interests? I, I did. I have a brother that's two years older than me, and uh, when we were probably 12 and 14 so i was 12 and my father said this summer you can either play baseball or golf i don't care which but you have to pick you can't do both if you're ever going to be good enough it's time to focus on one during the summer in the fall you can go back to playing basketball or or whatever and my brother chose golf and so i chose golf it was really that simple and and through the summers we didn't travel a lot living in north carolina you didn't have to you just had to go down to pinehurst because there was a junior tournament there every every couple of weeks and um you could see who it was you had to beat you could see what they were doing that maybe you weren't doing i don't ever make it to the tour in this day and age if i had if i had known what it took to make it to the pga tour i never would have been able to do it but we were we were just ignorant we 
we had no idea. Wait, wait, that's the great unknown, though. That's the part you ha- you have to be ignorant because nobody chases some of the stuff we all chased. If we knew exactly the road that was ahead, heck, we no way we'd turn around and run the other way. It's it's the unknown and the ignorance and the naivete, as I always say, that cha- that that gets us there. I think there's I think there's a lot to that. I think that you, you create your own blinders, but I also think that the other side of that is the knowledge that. Uh, these kids come out with now, like Matt Wolf and, and Matthew uh, Morikawa or Colin Morikawa. Yeah, yeah, he's good. Victor Hovland and those kids who all you know just got out of school. Well, they knew they were ready because their coach, uh, whoever their coach was in college, told them they were ready. They were beating the college kids, friend people they knew were on the tour already. And so I think it makes it I think it makes it that much more difficult for a kid who didn't come with some sort of pedigree because they're not getting in those critical uh, developmental times between uh, 17 and 20 as your body starts to mature into the game that you're trying to create. They're getting the type of instruction that has never been seen before, and it's really making a difference. Nope. The the fact that they probably, most of these kids aren't married. They don't have any other obligation. They don't know what it's like to to uh, they don't have kids yet, right? So that so their obligation is to themselves, and they, they does that add to the fearless part? They take the money aspect of it off the table. Yeah, because as soon as they sign, whether it's paying or Nike or, or TaylorMade or whoever, they they pay them a whole lot of money, and then as soon as they start playing well, well, they just forget about the money. I remember talking to Justin Thomas's dad after he won the FedEx Cup. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, he handled Justin's finances, his, his business aspects. And so I said, well, what's it like when, uh, you know, a tsunami hits your, your bank account? He said, well, you hear something funny? Uh, yeah, I watched the money come in. I waited for Justin to call and ask, did the money come in? <laughs> and it was, you know, $11.5 million. He said, he said it was six weeks later when Justin finally asked. Six weeks later. So I mean, eleven and a half million dollars hits your bank account, and you don't even check to see if it's there. John, are you and me not checking it like at three in the morning that next morning? Like uh, just like looking online? Is <laughs> it been Venmoed? <laughs> or or uh, Zane? Zane? What is another thing? There's all sorts. Zeld. Zeld has been something. That's crazy. We're talking to John McGinnis. John, you get to play DJ right now. I know you're rocking and you stay on the road and you see all sorts of great talent. But Mississippi's the birthplace of American music. That's where it all began, and that's it. So. Would you like to hear, I'm going to pull out for you, I think this is suitable, a little Muddy Waters or Howlin' Wolf? Oh, a little Muddy Waters. All right, that's what we're doing. We're with John McGinnis in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. He's keeping the game of golf just that. We're going to be right back. I got a boy child coming, going to be. He's going to be a rolling stone. Showing up, be the rolling stone. Showing up, be the rolling stone. Oh well, he's a. Oh well, he's a. In a Mississippi minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. I'm back with John McGinnis, PGA professional, but he is spending a whole lot of time, which sounds like by accident, in the broadcast booth, and that's his career now, and I love that. 
Uh, but there's no accident to it because he's brilliant. Uh, the way he keeps me up on the road, if it wasn't for him, I would have probably had a lot of crashes by now. Uh, so, John, for, I, w- I do want to thank you for keeping me, getting me home safe at times. And I also uh, want to ask you, you go to college. Where do you go? Where do you go play golf? I went to East Carolina, and this is advice that actually still stands today. Um, if you can go to Oklahoma, Wake Forest, one of the top schools and play, then by all means go do that. Those coaches are incredible. Uh, those facilities are incredible. But if you aren't coming out of high school, one of those kids that's going to be able to go and make an impact on that team right away and start, go to somewhere that plays a great schedule. Because you can make college golf about who you play against rather than who you play with. And that's what I did. I, I was not getting recruited in the Carolinas by Clemson, Chapel Hill, Duke, Wake Forest, Georgia Tech. But I went to a school that played in every tournament that those teams played in. Wow, yeah. So when I was a freshman, I started, and I started against guys like Len Matisse, who had just mm-hmm. come off of uh, the Walker Cup team. And and then later on, David Duvall and, and Stuart Sink and, and a lot of great players. But I got to play against them starting as a freshman. And if I hadn't done that, I don't think I ever – would have uh, would have developed beyond college. I think that that's as good as I would have been. But I got to, you know when you play with David Duvall at you know 19 years old and he's a freshman and you see one the power but two the finesse and you say okay there, here's what I have to work on watching that right because right. that's the future. You're just around it, so you sort of get used to it, right? Or you yes. don't, right? You you do or you don't. And you, you were hanging in there. You went. Did you, how about how was your co- college career? It was good, you know, and it got better. That was the thing, you know. I, I went there hoping that I would be a, a good, you know, a good enough player to to get to the national level, and then I qualified for the U.S. Amateur three straight years, and I, I played well in um, some of the amateur tournaments that, that I, I played in. So, for me, I, I was it was all about progress. It wasn't about getting a little bit better next year. It was about getting a lot better next year. And by my senior year. You know, I was an All-American candidate and all, all of those things. So just unbelievable. It was it was fun. It. And you get off, so you you graduate, you met, you go the distance, right? And then you get out, and you're going to go to Q, just right to Q school to get on the Nike tour. How do you back back in that day and age? What was the uh, the road to it? it? You you know, the Nike tour had just gotten started. Uh, it was the Hogan right. tour back then, and I Brett Quigley and I were the believe this is how much the games changed. Brett Quigley and I were the only two who got to the finals of Q School who were in school that fall or that spring. <laughs> and three guys won who were in school in the spring already this wow. year. Wow. And uh, so that was an eye-opener and going out and playing the Hogan Tour, and that was the next four four full years of my life. And you win how fast? Uh, not till 95. I mean, I won on all the other levels. I won the mini tours. Right, right. I was just trying to make enough money to keep going. And uh, this Myrtle Beach played a big part in that because, uh, you know, sometimes the tournament golf wasn't working out, but the gambling golf would pay the bills. <laughs> and there was a lot of gambling going on at Myrtle Beach. And some of the I'm – not, I'm not sure that uh, calling them bookies is fair, but let's call them bookies for lack of a better word. <laughs> You know, they like to gamble, and if you could shoot 66 on any given day, they didn't They didn't make you put up your own money. You just got to be their partner and play for, you know, 10 or 15%. And 
somewhere in the trunk of uh, you know two of the guys in the group had, uh, had, had duffel bags with $100 bills and handguns in them, and you didn't want to go anywhere near their trunks. You just wanted them to go get what they needed to get and come bring it to you. It's like, I feel like we're watching the show Ozark right now with Justin Bateman. <laughs> it was, it was, it was, there were some shady characters involved. You, you tried not to get anybody's real name so that if you had to testify later, you just knew him as, as Big Bernie or whatever. <laughs> I love it. You don't need to know their whole name, man. This is awesome. I mean, it's like, this is good stuff. All right, we're talking to John McGinnis. John, you, you mentioned your dad saying y'all got to pick a sport. Was your dad and mom all behind you guys chasing all this, you and your brother? Yeah, uh, well, my father was, uh, without question. Uh, my mother <laughs> my mother had four of us uh, to worry about. And unfortunately, uh, in 1987, which was uh, the, the day that I came home from my freshman year of college, uh, my father died of a heart attack, and oh, so he never got to see any of the, the golf that came later, which he would have loved. Mm. He would have loved mm. uh, watching me play well in his backyard. Well, he saw you. He saw you. Right. But but right. I know I know what you're saying, the physical. Uh, uh, so right. my brother also turned pro and played for, for several years, so we, we got to do a lot of that together. And then in, he, he actually stayed in the golf business, went into the golf business, um, was a was a club pro and a teaching pro for a while, and mm-hmm. when he realized that that's fun work, but it's way the hours are way too long and the money's no good, um, and because he had a business degree from uh, East Carolina and had been a club pro for five years, that makes him perfectly qualified to go into the operating room with a doctor and help him with knees and hips, right? <laughs> became a medical salesman. And so he became a medical salesman. <laughs> but he had he had a couple of months between the end of his last job and going to work for Johnson & Johnson in 1999, and I was on tour, and he called me and said, we're never going to get this opportunity again. I know that you're not happy with your caddy right now. Let me come out. I'll meet you next week, and let me caddy for the next two months. Wow. And I said, you know what? You're absolutely right. And uh, How was and that? came out. Man, it was awesome. We had so much fun. Uh, maybe it was 97. I don't remember exactly what year it was, but the last week he caddied was the John Deere, and I, f- I finished in the top ten. And, I mean, it was, it was, a, it was a big, fun week. Did you, big when you finished, week. where was it that you almost, you, you did, I know what it feels like to have a number two record. First of all, it's miserable because that's as high as I ever got, and, uh, and you, there's no party, right? I always, my listeners have heard this before, but I have to reminisce. I'm looking at, looking at a couple things on the wall, and I've had number one music videos, a few of them, but they don't give you a party for that. And then I just know that when you finish second, you know what I mean? It's, you get so close. So you did finish second on the PGA Tour. Yeah. You know what? You know what was? I mean, you were right there. So do you ever look back and go, "Gosh, I look back every blue moon," and yeah. I'll say something, but it uh, it doesn't bother me. But is it? You know, every once in a while, just kind of when I see it, you know, on the wall, I go, "So close to number one." That's a hard thing to get and to do. I lipped out a 25-footer in a playoff <laughs> and then watched Michael Bradley make yeah. about an 18-footer. Who was a good putter, right? Who was a good putter. And yeah. and people people think, Michael Bradley, I remember that name. Yeah. He won five times on tour. He won yeah. – Chris uh, DeMarco won three. Michael Bradley won five. Right. Michael was good. And Michael, I think, was back when you guys were – you know, I'm really good pals with Jim Gallagher Jr. So you yeah. guys were all – you know, Jim, you know, I always make joke. It's so funny because his wife, Sissy, obviously has won, what, 12 or 13 state ams? I could be wrong. Maybe more at this point. I don't even know. But she she gave up her LPGA career 
for Jim. And then Jim goes out, wins six times, wins tour championship, big Ryder Cup, all that. But he, his family, excuse me, her family of all things, and, and he teach him how to hunt. Right. And, and and all of a sudden, Jim falls in love with hunting, and the rest is history. I'm going like Jim. But now, he wanted to be with his kids. You know, he loved – I, I see Jim as no regret at all, except he was on fire back then. He was playing really good golf. That was your era, right, when you say oh, yes. pretty much? And he hit – you know, you mentioned Bruce Litsky earlier. Uh, Gallagher hit one shot. I mean, if there was a back left pin, he'd, he'd aim it left of the green and just he knew that, that thing was going to Barely fall, right? fade, right? It just barely just kind of – I used to argue with him. I said, that thing didn't fade anywhere. You know, because you go, Steve, because you're used to hitting a big old ugly slice. This is called a power fade. And I said, well, ain't nothing powerful about it. The thing's just barely – there's no turn. You know, it's like my argument with Lake Michigan. I've tasted salt. I don't care what anybody says. That's an ocean. <laughs> it is. They're lying their tails off. You know, we've been totally been misled. So, uh, anyway, you're in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios, and uh, we're in the Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. Stand by. He was all the way back in 1989. My wife and I newly married, and I was working on making my mark on the music business. We wanted to build a house. There was only one bank that helped us do that. And while we were trying to find our way around, our friends at Guarantee Bank started on the journey with us and have been there ever since. They were always my connection back home when we lived in Music City. They believed in me. So when you need a financial institution to believe in you, give my family at Guarantee Bank a chance. With humble beginnings all the way back to 1943, Guarantee Bank has grown from offering basic banking services and products to serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products, only expected at much larger institutions. They are proud to be your local big-time bank. Please visit one of their 17 locations and tell them Steve Azar sent you. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. Whether you're a rebel, a bulldog, a golden eagle, or just a sports fan, Super Talk Mississippi has got a podcast for you. For you. Sports Talk Mississippi, The Rebel Report, Thunder and Lightning, The Super Talk Eagle Hour, and The Borky Show are all now available for you. And it's all free. Free. Get them all on demand at supertalk.fm and on your smartphone. Just search for Super Talk on iTunes, Google Play, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, 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 we are coming to you from the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. All right, we're talking to John McGinnis. Uh, I've got him laughing, which is a good thing. And uh, you're in a Mississippi Minute. John, so you, so what was your injury and the extent of it? Uh, I was in Memphis, which is... Um, should be, you know, Memphis should be part of Mississippi. If you it is me. Northwest Capital, Northwest Mississippi, somewhere. Got somebody. That's another thing that went wrong somewhere. But anyway, that, yeah, the lines were drawn wrong. That's all. I I, uh, I, I injured my elbow. It was, it was just a repetitive task injury. 
had some bone spurs, sent a bone spur through the right tricep tendon. And uh, if it sounds painful, it was. Um, and I didn't hear it, but my caddy did. And then he watched the elbow um, balloon. And I tried to play the last three holes <laughs> one-handed because it was Friday, and I was I was like eight under. And the cut was going to be like three under, and I wanted to play. I wanted to make the cut and then withdraw before we went and had surgery. We we knew it was wrong. I'd seen the doctor. He said at some point you might bust this thing open, and yeah. that's what happened. Uh, and I had surgery on Monday. Did you? Were you in Memphis when you had surgery? No, I flew home. Flew home and went to, went and had it done at Duke. Um, as a matter of fact, the doctor that did surgery on me played the tour in the seventies and decided that he wanted to go back to medical school and be an orthopedic surgeon. Well, there you go. My brother is actually the chief of staff at Memf- in Memphis at Campbell's. Ben, ben the, was probably the chief of staff when that's happened to you. So uh, he'd been chief of staff a long time. But anyway, he would have if it would have been his shoulder, he'd have – you would have loved to have gone to him, but uh, anyway, I've I've been I've been in the room with him on just a couple surgeries because he won't ever let me go back because I was questioning everything they were doing and <laughs> they were upset at me. Talking to John McGinnis, so John, what's on on tap? You've got you talk about this next month. When do you guys get back in gear, and how can people listen? Well, you can you can listen nightly at five o'clock, uh, Sirius XM, uh, Monday through Friday. Catrick and McGinnis on tap, uh, and then. The live coverage kicks back off in a couple of weeks at uh, at Greenbrier. So, uh, the, like you said, there, there's really no end to uh, to the season. I'll do a few of the PGA Tour lives as well, which is uh, the digital coverage. They do featured groups coverage starting at seven o'clock on Thursday morning or eight o'clock on Thursday morning. And so it's you know the stars are always on TV now. Hey, I, I do have one question, and then I'm going to let you go. I, I know you're in the middle of it, and I appreciate you taking a Mississippi minute to hang with me live from Myrtle Beach. But tennis. So I watched the game of tennis, and I grew up playing, and uh, I was mediocre or whatever, but, I, but I, I was trying to compete. But I love the game, okay? And now I'm looking at three guys. Yeah. Three guys, right? You're looking at Djokovic. You're looking into Dahl, who's got all these crazy idiosyncrasies. I get tired of watching him pull his underwear, ear, touch, nose, touch, ear, touch, pocket. Anyway, anyway before he serves. And then, and then obviously, Federer. Can, could we ever see golf? You're talk, so it's the opposite's happening right now. You've, you've still got guys winning in their 40s, obviously. You're talking about three guys in tennis. Are we ever going to see that in golf ever again, or is that over? Like you no, know, I think we will. I think the I think the golf right now is that it's it's fever pitch in terms of its velocity, how hard these guys can go at it, and I think that what's going to have to happen for there to be a, a dominant group is that some of the nuance gets back put back in the game. That's what happened at the Tour Championship. Uh, the rough was longer; it required players to do certain things. I think firm greens and high rough really will have an impact, and it'll. It'll take away this bomb and gouge mentality, which is, and Tiger even said it in, in Chicago. He said, look, the driver's the most important club in the bag. We're going to hit driver uh, on every hole. And when we hit the fairways, th- those are the weeks that you win golf tournaments. And if you don't hit fairways, you're not going to hit. Hmm. not going to win golf tournaments. But, you know, you're going to hit four or five weeks a year where you've got it all working, and that's that's when you take advantage, and somebody has it working every week. That was Tiger woods's mentality about winning golf tournaments on the pga tour well everybody has to listen to that and say well how do we change that how do, how do we bring some of the, the the beauty back into the game some of the nuance and when they do i think that you're going to be left with 
Rory McIlroy, uh, Dustin Johnson. Um, I don't know if Brooks's game translates as well as those other two to, to that type of atmosphere. Although he's such, he's such a competitor, I believe I believe it would. But um, you know, I, I think that the game is in a transition period right now, and it's going to continue through that. And when when we come out the other side, I do think we'll see dominance again. That's pretty cool. Well, you can dominate some rest because I know you need it. And uh, and uh, blessings to you. And I'll see you uh, hopefully pretty soon. I know you'll be in Jackson, so that's close enough. If I don't see you then, then I, then I didn't make a two-hour trip to see you, and I'd be ashamed. Well, you know, I, I can always uh, I can always bring my sticks and come to you. <laughs> I'd love it. I appreciate you, brother. We've been with John McGinnis. you got to check him out on the PGA Radio Tour Network. Am I right there, John? Am I right? That, that'll do. That'll do. And uh, blessings, pal. You've been in a Mississippi Minute. We've been in the Keep Mississippi Beautiful Studios. I'm Steve Azar. We're out of here. Bye-bye. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. Humble beginnings all the way back to 1943. Guarantee Bank has grown from offering the basic banking services and products to serving customers with a comprehensive, complete line of expertise and products only expected at much larger institutions. We are proud to be your local big-time bank. So when you're looking for a bank you can truly depend on and trust, and like me so many years ago trying to find my way around, let Guarantee Bank with its 17 convenient locations help you on your journey and become a wonderful addition to your family like they have mine for over 30 years. Guarantee Bank, member FDIC. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.